comic book pit. Okay. Gosh. 
I would say the only I think the only magazines that I ever kind of like collected were um, like uh, events in history. Let's say mm, yes, nine eleven. Like I've got. The, I, I think oh, you I mean like those life ones where you see at the no, grocery store well, and they're like, oh, no, 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 this not, episode not, of Elvis Presley. No, th- those are <laughs> those are more like collectible, like thick collectible. Yeah, I'm talking about like like the newsstand edition, like. Like a Time magazine for... For that week or something. I did that with the last episode of Seinfeld. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did that with 9-11. I probably like, shouldn't was, play with these beads. It's probably it affecting the, the audio. It was the, <laughs> the the issue of Time magazine right after, like, 9-11. Mm-hmm. And there's and, a uh, fine illustration of where our priorities lie. National <laughs> national yeah. tragedies. Right. 9-11. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, you know, but I also had, like, the Vanity Fair cover with... Uh, uh, I think like when the prequels came out, like the first prequel, Star Wars. Yeah, okay. I, I I bought like every magazine cover with all like Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor. Like okay. I, mean, I had them all. I had like Entertainment Weekly. I had Vanity Fair. I had Time. And now I, I mean, and I think like I found them a couple of years ago. I'm like, yeah, these are all going in the garbage. <laughs> I still have the Seinfeld magazines. I uh, they're I, in the box. I used to collect Maxim magazines, actually. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, like in my college days. <laughs> I think everybody did at one point or another. I was pretty good, too. When you're interested in porn, but, like, <laughs> yeah. without the porn. Yeah, for your, for your software. Where it's perfectly okay that the cash register guy is not going to look at you funny because you want some porn, when you want get some Maxim. Yeah, when, when <laughs> you want to leave a little of the imagination, when, Maxim. When you want some TNA, but you don't want the uh, to get it from behind the counter. <laughs> oh, that... Anyway. I don't know if that sounded right there. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, so, okay, so Action Comics 1000, I think uh, we've read it. Uh, yeah. You've, or, I read it. Did you read, I read it, Sean? It. I did not. I wanted, you can to, leave. I wanted to pick it up. No, I, okay. <laughs> I heard, we were talking about the math, though. I do. I have a copy I was on my desk at home of Action 600 and, I have, and then Action 1000. Mm-hmm. And Action 600 was like, 30 years ago. So I think it was like early 88. And so I was trying to do the math and I, I, I never did complete the formulas. So it took 50 years for 600 issues and then another 30 years for 400 issues. So I guess it works out. Does that sound sort of like hundred issues? I guess it all depends on what their publishing schedule is. Like I think, I think it went weekly for a while in, in the, the 80s. 80s. Yeah, yeah. The 80s action comics went weekly. Yeah, you're right. So, I mean, yeah, comic I, publishing is, is, because I think I did the best. math one time for, uh, I think it was like Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. just to see. And then, you know, my math kept messing up. And when I was collecting Superman uh, regularly in the 90s, Action 700 was in that mix, too. So it was like 10, it felt like every 10 years, I, I forget what year it was. I just remember it was like long-haired Superman and like the Daily Planet Globes, like rolling down the street mm-hmm. and he's trying to hold up. That's oh, Action yeah. 700. And that was mid-90s. I don't think it was like... 98, though. I think it was earlier in the 90s. Like, more mid, like 96, 97, possibly. So, I don't know. I mean, it's... Again, I don't know the, the release schedule and how it's working out, but it feels, feels like for every 10 years, give or take, mm-hmm. there's 100 issues of it. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that, other than <laughs> math. And, and, like, once a decade, there's a centennial issue yeah. of, of actual Math comments. is weird. I don't have 800 or 900. So, like, eight, when did mm-hmm. they occur? I'm not sure, but... 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we could look mid, that up mid, real quick. Mid but, uh, 2000s might have been probably. 800, and then when was nine? And how, how did probably during the new 52, and they just mm. kept track. Oh, that's and a then good they point. That's a good retru- point. I forgot that at some point. I mean, because the yeah. new 52 went for five years. Mm. You know, so it was probably roughly. around that time. So, well, the um, you know, so this anniversary issue, this issue 1000, um, was more or less like a celebration Very of much. Superman, like a, an 80-year an history of the Man of Steel. And, um, geez, I mean, just about every Superman creator you could think of. Save uh, one. We save talked one. about that last time we got together. Right, except for uh, Mr. John Byrne yeah. uh, was not part of it. But I think there was I, – hmm. I believe there was a reason for it, and I, I, I saw an article, but I – Oh, really? I, was I, it someone addressed it? I, th- I think it was addressed. Was it so, was it scandalous, or just was it just, like, I, I boring? Was, I, I don't remember. I, I meant to go back and reread it, hmm. and I – I didn't, so that's that's on me. But um, <clears throat> it's okay. I, I had a pointless rant about the numbering system, so it's good. <laughs> but um, I would say, you know, the one of the the biggest um, noticeable things about this issue was the uh, you know the last story. There's there's multiple stories in this issue, uh, but the very last one is Mr. Brian Michael Bendis. This is it was his debut on Action Comics, which is a big deal. You know, I mean, it was a big deal that he was um, moving from Marvel to DC after 18 years and his you know his first foray into the DC lore is Superman action comics I mean he's he's taking what is thought of as I guess arguably like the, the flagship of yeah the, of DC comics and um, he's also going to be doing Superman I believe right he's gonna be doing both mm-hmm. yes let me turn that off um, yeah, he's doing action and Superman. He, mm-hmm. He's writing the Superman family titles. Right. There's the Man of Steel um, miniseries coming out right. next month. Which I think, I think it starts he's doing with like a like a rotating. Yeah, every issue has its own artist. Yeah. And then they're relaunching naturally the uh, the two titles. Mm-hmm. So yes, we got Action Comics 1000, but that we're not getting like 1001. We're no, I think he. I think they are going to continue. Are they maintaining the numbers? Am yeah, I cool with it. I was well. Uh, I was listening to. I'm pretty sure uh, Superman's rebooting though. Probably, I'm definitely sure that uh, action was continuing the numbering because I think I I listened to Brian Michael Bendis on. Um, I think it was like a podcast. Was it Was it Word Balloon? Maybe because I just listened to that. No, oh, I'm wrong. Action Comics 1001 on sale July 25th. It was. I think it was Mothership. Okay. And then he mentioned that. So on. Superman's rebooting with a new number one. Action Comics, they're going to keep going. Okay. Which I, I kind of would hope that they would after, you know, it, it made it all the way to a thousand. It's like, let it keep going. You know? Yeah. Um, but this one was just chock full of, like I said, creators, uh, writers, and artists from, you know, from up and down, you know, Superman's history. I think they. They took um, a page out of what Marvel did with the Captain America issue 700. They took some unused Jack Kirby art, and Mark Wade crafted a new story around it. I hmm. think they did the same thing with some Kurt Swan art, and because there's there's a Kurt Swan story in this in this issue. Yeah, yeah. It, they sort of just repurposed some stuff. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, but. Um, 
Yeah, this was, like I said, it, it wasn't, they weren't really telling a continuing story. Um, it was, like I said, every story was just, like, more or less a celebration of Superman throughout the ages. Uh, now, I do believe that uh, Bendis's story, did we lose one? Did you hear something? Sorry, guys. Was, no, we're all good. Okay. I was turning my mic. I thought a burp was coming. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> Live th- television, folks. Or I thought I was <laughs> chewing a little too loud, so I thought I'd turn off my mic. Ah, uh, okay. That's what I heard then. <laughs> sorry. Did you bring enough gum for everybody? Actually, I did. <laughs> <laughs> do, it, do it old school. Jared's going to lean over and like put his hand out, and yeah. you're going to spit your uh, spit your gum into his mouth. you put it hand. on your nose. <laughs> But um, uh, Bendis' story is the only one that really is springboarding into what he's planning on doing with the rest of, you know, or like leading into his run on action and or Superman. I don't know if it's going to, if this story is going to crisscross over both titles or just one title. Um, But I don't know. Overall, what did you think of this, this issue? I mean, it, it's. I agree with what you say. I mean, it, it's fine. It, it was a celebration issue. Some of it was just like, I don't want to say it's disposable, but it is a celebration. Um, the Bendis story is the only one that really I think is worth commenting on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued. I like Superman. I, I really, and I've been enjoying Superman uh, in the past couple of years, like the post-rebirth Superman and what they've been doing with it. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll stick with it. Um, the the storyline that seems to be teased, the big monster character that seems to have some ties to the destruction of Krypton, feels a little. Uh, I feel like stuff like that. I, like we've we've been there. It's a little easy, a little boring. I don't know. Yeah, we'll was, see. We'll it, see. It was like kind of um, like a, you know, like oh here's the big twist, but it was like eh. yeah, like here's something yet again you didn't know about the history of. It's just more. It's the, just more retconning of. Yeah, as I, I don't know. But if but here's what I will say. That, um, if Bendis writes Superman with the same passion he wrote, like, The Defenders, then uh, it, it, it'll be great. Because mm-hmm. I really love that Defenders series he just wrapped up at Marvel. And that was something that you could really feel the passion come through on the page yeah. for. So if it's written with that same type of energy, uh, then we should be in for something good. I I feel like he's got a, he, he's got a very strong tie to Superman because of because of the ties the you know his own ties to the origin of Superman itself. I mean, like not uh, uh, you know the fact that he, you know he's from Cleveland, and, right? Um, uh, Siegel and Schuster, two Jewish kids from Cleveland. He's you know he's a Jewish kid from Cleveland who made comics and and it, you know I, I I listened to an interview with him um, a uh, couple of. Uh, no, just like last week, and yeah, it sounds like th- this whole thing was just like kismet. Like mm-hmm. it was just meant to be. Like him, you know, he he did as much as he felt like he could at Marvel. Um, you know, he was happy with the way things went. It sounds like he had a really good transition from Marvel to DC, and and you know, he had a, a trip to go back to Cleveland for a, a, a family wedding, and. They, it was just coincidence that at the same time, the local library had had made this huge um, Superman display in the library, and he, you know, he it was just like a culmination of all these things that you know 
led him to think like this is absolutely the right move and that he had you know again such a strong tie to that character so I'm I feel like um, I I feel a little more optimistic than I did originally when I heard he was going to Superman right you know because mm-hmm. uh, Superman to me didn't didn't f- really feel like his kind of character but but not you know after hearing him talk more about it I feel a little bit more optimistic about it. And so I just said that I was in Cleveland last year, like around this time when that exhibit was opening up, but I wasn't there long enough mm-hmm. to go see it. So yeah, I'd heard about that and it sounded like they just did like a whole wing of the library. It was just like a museum to Superman and the, it being created there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Was so, there uh, any around friends art in it? And Superman 1000? Um, no, no, there was not. Oh, it was like what Jurgens, Kurt Uh, Swan. We'll see. Okay, so I'm I'm going to pull it up now. You have it there. From from what I understand, and I might. Patrick Gleason was had a a piece in it. Tom King and Clay Mann did a story, but they haven't done anything in Superman that I'm aware of, other than they're just creators du jour at DC. So um, I think, unless it's been updated. Oh, okay, so here it's um, here's the character. Here's the creator list: uh, Bendis, John Cassidy, uh, Olivier Coipel, Paul Dini, Jose <laughs> Luis Garcia Lopez, Patrick Gleason, Butch Geis, Jeff Johns, Dan Jurgens, Tom King, Jim Lee, Clay Mann, Brad Meltzer, Jerry Ordway, uh, Louis Simonson, Scott Snyder. Kurt Swan, Peter Tomasi, and Marv Wolfman. I think a couple more that are not on this list, but but that's a pretty. I mean, talk about a who's who yeah. of comics creators. I mean, that's that's an amazing. Didn't Starenko do like a cover for it? He too? did. He he did one of there were there were, there was a different variant cover for each decade, and I think he did the seventies. I believe so. I have the uh, all red sixties cover. I think it is. Um. Oh, um, Raphael Albuquerque did some art in this. Yes, yes, um, Yeah, it's so this. I mean, just <laughs> just amazing. The uh, again, the, the amount of talent that's in here, um, and the, uh, the, the the different covers. There's a, a Steve Rude 1930s cover, which is uh, pretty great. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, so there's yeah there's one from every decade. Uh, I I got the digital copy which ha- actually includes all of the covers. Oh, okay. Um, but you probably Jared you probably went out and got the physical, the physical copy. copy. Yes. Which one did you get? The all red cover. I figured. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, hold it up for you. It's okay. <laughs> I think you could have did better. This is the this is the the Mike all red cover. So, Ooh. yeah. Um, so um, a little, little more specifically about the the Bendis um, story. What do you think about the? Um, I feel like Jim Lee. I mean, yeah, I think he was. You know, he was probably right to be included in this. I don't know if he was the right one to do Bendis' story. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because I, I know why Jim Lee did that story, and it's all just because Jim Lee's a 
the publisher well, yeah. of DC Comics. He's kind of the man over there. So probably not. Probably not. I mean, it was fine. I, I, I didn't have any um, I think issues with the art on this story. Um, it, it's like, it's just a setup story where it introduces some big like world-killing type monster with a tie to Krypton's past, and he's beating mm-hmm. up on Superman, and Supergirl's there to help out, and it's sort of like it, it's very much a teaser story. Right. Um, and Jim Lee art's there because it's a monumental issue, and Jim Lee's a big muckamuck at DC, and Jim Lee is Jim Lee. Yeah, he also uh, did the he did the main cover for this for the issue, like the main like the. Thinking maybe they should have had like a different artist. Well, question mark. Let me. So this is the that's the Jim Lee cover, which is you know it's it, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's Jim mm-hmm. Lee. It's but it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's where I'm coming down on it, and just you know, and it's, um, just in general. So yeah, the the, the art was fine. There was his his art is is good. I enjoy looking at his art, but I also feel like his art is reminiscent is of a time past. It's like like we look at maybe um, you know uh, Kirby. And we're reminded of the '60s, or you know, Bushema or Stranko. And we're reminded of the '70s. Um, you know, maybe Frank Miller. We're reminded of the '80s. So you know, I look at guys like Lee Field and Lee and McFarland and Silvestri, and I'm reminded of the '90s. It's not a bad thing, but so their art is technically like it's it's like dating. I see what you're getting. You know, mm-hmm. I see what you're getting. At. I mean, yeah, there was no like. Vertical gritted teeth spreads. So it wasn't like a pure '90s throwback, but right. I know what you mean. Like maybe yeah. if it was had like, if Gleason had drawn this story, because Patrick Gleason will be doing action comics. Patrick Gleason mm-hmm. just did the Superman run, which was fantastic. Perhaps, perhaps that would have been a little. It's like that uh, uh, crazy. Tr- it's like that weird high school photo that you look back and you're like, oh, I used to. <laughs> <laughs> used to look like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh. and, and there, you know, it's. It you can wax nostalgic on it, and there's, and you can still enjoy it for, for you know, it's, it's the same way we enjoy old movies and music we grew up on, and 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 comics and art that we grew up on. But at what point does it? Is it not right for, you know, for a story? Food for thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That, that's all I was just getting at. It was just. I, yeah. I, if I had to nitpick at it, I thought the story – somewhere in this comic, they would explain the return of the red trunks. I mean, wow. there was all this hype about the red trunks are back, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I've always was team red trunks. Mm-hmm. But there's no <laughs> explanation as to why the red trunks are back. I think – and I, I don't know if he was just being like uh, – <clears throat> if he was saying it just kind of tongue-in-cheek. But in the, the interview that I listened to with Bendis, he addressed it. To the point where he was saying, like, um, like I can't believe this was a thing because you know he he wasn't really paying attention when it you know when the, the red trunks disappeared. I guess he wasn't really, you know, it wasn't in his whatever his field of vision or his you know he he doesn't really wasn't really paying attention when he was then on board um, DC and you know then becoming coming on Team Superman. He was more of aware. He was more aware of this was like a thing, and he was like, "Why is this a thing?" And and, I, and then I guess um, he said that 
he was actually going to address it in a future okay. story. Now, again, I'm not sure if he was just being like Bendis and just kind of mm. like saying that, like just jerking around, just being tongue in cheek, or if he actually is going to work that into a story. I can just have like 30 pages of why there should be red trunks on. <laughs> Just 30, 30 pages of him looking through his laundry basket, looking for his yeah. red trunks. You know. It's like, damn it, it was so iconic. Why would I put him in the laundry and lose him? Well, it's because in this... I hope I didn't put him with the whites. <laughs> and then Lois is mad. Yeah, everything's pink. pink. Everything's yeah. pink. It's like, why? I like pink very much, Lois. It's like, Clark. Well, because this Superman... Going back to like uh, the, the rebirth and stuff, like this Superman was born out of the Convergence storyline. Where, all right, so so like when this Superman first showed up, like this, with the Superman with the wife and the child, they were initially like refugees from a different reality, mm-hmm. and he was wearing the classic suit. Like he came, he was like from the '90s Superman come forward. Uh, and then there was like he was on his own little world and that convergence storyline and then all the worlds converge and then he they were destroyed and then he was like a him Lois and John Kent were like refugees on the their current DC world right and laying low and he was wearing the classic suit with red trunks and then he was wearing some like black suit just to lay yeah, low wasn't he wearing like he had a beard and he, he was had wearing, a, be- like, a grow beard because there was also the the main Superman the the new fifty two Superman was still operating. So he stayed out of New 52 Superman's way. And then there was that last days of Superman storyline where New 52 Superman died. I forget why. He had some. He had AIDS. And uh, he died. And then. So then the 90 Superman like came out of the hiding. And then when he comes out of hiding, they show. There's a scene where he like goes to like a dresser. Grabs a suit out and it's a brand new suit with no trunks, just all blue. Hmm. And then they revealed that this ties into like with, with Doctor Manhattan fiddling with the time stream, that Superman like split from and so sort of like Superman Red, Superman Blue, mm-hmm. the, and then the New Fifty Two Superman was Superman Red, and then so like the spirit of New Fifty Two Superman merged with Ninety Superman to transmogrify into Superman, which I thought was kind of a cop out answer. I like the idea of that this Superman and Lois Lane were uh, refugees from a, an alternate Earth. Yeah, that was cool to me. It was boring <laughs> to this time only. But then in the, with the different, you know, and mm-hmm. they said that it wasn't you know Barry Allen and Flashpoint that caused this split in reality. It was Doctor Manhattan mm-hmm. playing games. So also kind of dumb. But I was like, <laughs> just do it. Let's go with those bold like we're different worlds and that world's gone and yeah. I like that. I thought it was cooler. I thought it was cooler. I don't know. I mean, none of it's real, so it doesn't matter. But can they just like woke up? Everyone just woke up one day and be like, you know what? We'll just change. I'd, had, I'd like, like a little, like a little pop in my suit, a little pizzazz, a little <laughs> splash of color. <laughs> I say, holy moly! My eyes crossed when you explained that thing. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I felt like a moron explaining it. <laughs> I feel like I need to look up the Wikipedia page on that one and be like, oh, okay, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Sometimes that's it. Sometimes that 52 helps. Super Bowl contracted AIDS? <laughs> I thought that was... I was like, whoa. Yeah, sometimes Wikipedia helps. Sometimes it makes it worse. Yeah. He didn't contract AIDS, by the way. <laughs> that's not what happened. 
So he got the flu. <laughs> so overall, um, this was a this was a good issue. It was a good like issue that anybody could just read, right? I, I mean, would you? Yeah, totally, that? totally. Because yeah, just, there's nothing that ties into it. it. It right. They're all just like celebratory issues, and then it previews what's coming. So it's a perfect jumping on point. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a book that you could give to any Superman fan and just. Be like, hey, read this and enjoy. I love Man of Steel. That's my only knowledge of Superman. <laughs> cool. Don't read this. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, you had another Superman. I want to talk about Superman 45, tying into the Superman thing. Okay. Um, it was the final issue of this Superman run, the Superman run that started with the DC Rebirth uh, reboot about mm-hmm. two and a half years ago. This was the. Peter Tomasi, Patrick Gleason run of Superman, which I loved it because I I've, I've talked about this before. It was the Superman I was just talking about the the Superman that's married and has a son, and I was like, "There's no way this is going to be fascinating." When you give him this much baggage, there's no way that this can there can be intriguing stories to tell. And I was wrong, hmm. boy. How do you how I was wrong? It's they. It, I loved it. I loved everything about it. It was so good and just so natural and felt right that Superman does have a 10-year-old son who's also, you know, part Kryptonian and has developing powers yeah. and is like the Superboy now. And it it totally works. Superman was able to have his own adventures and still be Superman and have those stakes. He was able to include, like, the family in it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel uh, like hang-ons or anything. Like it, it, You didn't forget about them. No. And just Superman being, like... Trying to be a good father mm-hmm. felt very apropos for Superman. Like, and it's weird because, like, um, I also read Super Sons, which ended too. All of these books ended. Uh, Supergirl ended as well. But, like, Super Sons was, like, uh, Damian Wayne. And so, like, yeah. there's a lot of, like, our dads. And, and I don't read as much Batman, and but I don't remember there being a lot of father and son in the Batman books when I was reading them. And it worked too, and it seems, and it it actually plays into the type of relationships that they all seem to have. But for Superman, it was really strong. It really worked. There were some really good Superman stories. I kind of feel like this creative team being shown the door um, feels a little abrupt, in a sense. I think they could have kept going. I think they had more stories to tell. I think they could have kept it going for a long time. Um, So it's kind of bittersweet to lose them. For, for you know the megastar coming to the team, mm-hmm. but at the same token, um, you know Gleason will be doing the art on Action Comics, so he's not completely gone. And Bendis has said you know he's embracing everything that they did right. and building on that, so the family unit will still be there and everything. So hopefully, he, like I said, in Bendis worked with family stuff with like um Jessica Jones and Luke Cage mm-hmm. and stuff like that, so. Mm-hmm. A, a superhero family is not foreign to him either, and, and that was really strong stuff as well. So, right. if if that same energy is brought to this, it should be good, and I'm hoping it is because I really like these characters and I enjoyed reading these stories. Yeah, I mean, if it's you know, one thing that he he does pretty well. I mean, I mean, yeah, he he does solo characters pretty well, but he also does um, families pretty well. Like I would argue that you know his work on New Avengers was a family book. Because they were very much, yeah. I like know, New Avengers. That was you good. know his 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 initial run on New Avengers was very much a. I think the only Bendis book I didn't like was Avengers versus X Men. 
I never, yeah, I, I, I didn't read that. That, that didn't I read the first issue and just hated it. Yeah, it just felt that totally wrong. Yeah, that that whole thing just felt forced to me. I felt like they were they were just taking the two biggest uh, franchises that that they had and they're like fight. Yeah, you know, it's like just taking. It's like if you want to take your Transformers and your figures and your your He Man figures and be like ah mm-hmm. fight. <laughs> that was kind of like let's let's take our toys and make them fight each other and then we'll make them a family. So. Um. Yeah. I, um. I remember. Uh. Yeah. The. I, I was a little skeptical when they introduced his son because I thought, uh, you know, it, it, that never really seems to work. Like, right? The heroes having kids. I mean, it, um. I think really the only ones that that have kind of worked were like, um, and I, I think it only has worked recently because of um, Jonathan Hickman. But when. Hickman was writing the Fantastic Four, and he had Franklin and Valeria to play with. I thought he did those really well, those characters. But other than that, I, I feel like uh, characters that have kids really it never really ends well. Like the the fans, the readers really don't gravitate yeah. to them. But you know, I, I read, I probably, I think I maybe read like the first three or four issues of Super Sons, and I, I loved it. I was like, this is the book I never knew I needed. Yeah. And it was it was so much fun. It was a because it was like just little versions of Batman and Superman. Because Damien was very much very like, kind of a dick. Yes. Like Batman. Yes. And and John was very earnest and very like um, wide eyed yes. like, like his dad. Mm-hmm. You know, but they but but they, they played off each other really well. Yeah, it was very. Uh, it, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. It was a great series. It's got like I think one issue left, and it's uh, closing off. But yeah, this the, the, the dynamic between the characters. Yes, you can. They're their father. They're, they're the sons of their father. They're their father's sons. I think I have to say, right? Mm-hmm. But they're very much their own characters, and mm-hmm. it was just a lot of fun, and it was unique, uh, and it just was a good read. For, you know, the, it was like maybe like one or two like self-contained or two-parters, some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoyable. Just and then just seeing like yeah, they're they're kids and it's like you know sneaking out to go patrol or yeah, learning or you know Robin's teaching Superboy how to be a superhero and stuff like that. It was just was a fun read and they were and that's kind of where the comics are sort of like I feel skewed back the last few years is more towards brighter mm-hmm. season. We've talked about this many many times. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, just this sort of like the the, the Marvel movie effect mm-hmm. with everything. We're making comics fun again. Yeah, and uh, this was very much the embodiment of that. And so I, I'm hoping that that continues with Superman because these Superman books I've been reading were a lot of fun and were like very strong Superman stories. Embrace what Superman can be mm-hmm. and should be, and just told really good yarns with the character. Okay. Well, cool. Let's let's, like, let's keep the Superman train rolling. We got a, a different uh, Sean. You've got a different type of I Superman. D- I do. What I think I can there? show it. Yeah. There you go. I have Superman, the Dailies from 1940 to 1941. So now explain what the for the since newspapers are are almost a thing of the past now. Explain to so our, what's our the audience what 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 dailies means. <laughs> well, it, may, it probably stood for daily newspaper, I'd imagine. But yeah, Superman used to run in a newspaper. 
How long? I have no idea. I'd imagine he's probably been in the newspapers probably a couple times within his 80 years of being around. Now, that that book, does it have a year? The years on it? Was it 1940? Uh-huh. 1940 to 1941. And this is actually the second volume, so I assume they probably started it in like in 39 mm-hmm. or even 38, 39. So this happened shortly after Superman mm-hmm. came about on the landscape. Yeah. So how... How is it? Is it? I mean, was it actually? What, what's what's going on in that book? What kind of stories are they telling? More human stories. It's like, it's definitely like that classic, uh, like Fleischer Brothers cartoon, mm-hmm. but more. I don't want to say realistic, but yeah, he fights gangsters. It's not even so much fighting like um, supervillains. I mean, Lex Luthor does make an appearance in it as uh, his scientist form, not his. Um, uh, super businessman Trump form. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a super scientist that always he tries to defeat him. But most of the time, I think like the first story goes into um, Clark Kent dissolves a, a spy ring, which goes into how these countries are trying to draw in the United States into war. Uh, very kind of like, I guess, Pearl Harbor. Ish. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to prevent Pearl Harbor, but this is before Pearl Harbor even came about. And um, and so it's like stories like that, mm-hmm. even like stopping the war between two fictitious countries. I can't remember the names, but mm-hmm. he literally grabs like the two head haunches of these two major armies, <laughs> puts them in the middle, even kind of like embarrasses them a bit yeah to a point where the soldiers are like all right we're not following these people they're lame so it was very like very relevant to the time man it felt more relevant today (laughs) there's one where he goes um he fights corruption in the system of um of tenants of um Oh, like like he's fighting a land like a, a yeah. slumlord or something. Mm-hmm. Episode thirteen: Trouble in the Tenements. Uh huh. <laughs> well, that's I mean that when he first came out, I mean his first few issues of, I think Action Comics. I mean he was like kind of that, you know, man of the people. Yeah. Type of I mean that was when like he he wasn't flying just yet. He was more just leaping. Yeah, they don't and, really they have him jumping around mm-hmm. a lot in this one. Although they don't really say jumping. Mm-hmm. But they also don't say he's flying. So, but every panel he looks like he's more like jumping than he is flying. Um, I tell you the truth, I, for being as old as it is, it actually reads pretty fun. Yeah. Like, usually when I read old material like that, uh, even from that decade or even like the 50s and 60s, they kind of just lay on the text. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even like in a bad way. Like I'm saying it, but it's just like, just like they like overwritten. Yes, type of thing. very just overwritten. A lot, like, of, a lot of exposition. Exactly. Like Stanley is definitely guilty of that. Oh like sure. Reading like the '60s stuff, you know, people give him praise. Yeah, I give him some praise, mm-hmm. but you need to cut it down with the words. <laughs> and this one just it reads really light. It reads quick. It reads very well. I mean, there's some words in there that are kind of like of the time. So it's very dated. But then again, when you pick up a book called Superman, the dailies, 1940 to 1941, <laughs> I kind of yeah. have to expect that. Uh, who was, um, who was doing the, 
like the the writing and the art was it Siegel and Schuster or was it another? Now it does say Siegel Schuster. Okay. My thoughts are that there are ghost artists in there because I imagine at this time Siegel and Schuster, I think they had their um, like their company, their little workshop mm. or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But I think in the front of that, I I wanted to look at that before we came on, but. I think there's like Wayne Boring in there somewhere. Okay. Um, and a couple other artists and writers, maybe. I, I'm but. thumbing through this one where the, the Trouble in the Tenements storyline and uh, Superman saves this guy who's trying to jump off it. But he was destroying one of the tenements with a hatchet. It turns out uh, his wife had contact pneumonia because there's no heat in the uh, building and so he's been wow. suicidal. That's that's, yeah, that's pretty serious. And so like, Superman saves him, and then uh, takes him to the hospital. And then a lawyer for the landlord, the tenement owner, shows up, and he's like, "Are you going to pay for the damage you caused, or must we prosecute?" And then the guy's like, "I'm, I've got no money." And Clark's like, "Leave him alone. He's sick, and you're exciting him." And the lawyer's like, "Shut up, fool! I know the law. If this community thinks he cuts him up, and Clark's like, "I warned you to keep quiet," and he like literally throws him out of the hospital room. <laughs> yeah. Heck, there is. And then the, the guy's daughter's like, it, it did me good to see you throw that shyster out. And Clark's like, he had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Lois kind of gets jealous in that episode, too, because uh, I can't remember the woman's name. Her and Clark are kind of like, hey, Clark, let's go and, you know, hang out. Or or maybe like Clark's like, hey, I'll drive you home. You know, and Lois is like, hey, I need you to run some errands. And he's like, oh, I got to do this thing. And she's like, oh. Fine, I can do my own stuff. Like, darn right, Lois. You're a trash person. <laughs> she is the worst, isn't she? She is. Oh my gosh. It's so... I mean, I feel like she's probably written better now, but back in the day, she was just, she was written so terribly. <laughs> uh, it just, and, 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 yeah, and I, I think I even I commented on it, um, was that a couple weeks ago? You on Facebook? Didn't you post yeah. something? And I posted like a panel out of there. And yeah, I think it was like <laughs> super, I think it was more on like uh, the slight against Superman because I think he saves her and she's like, "Oh, I'm so glad you saved me." And he's like, "Man, could have oh. been like in a relaxed chair yeah. or something like that." Like, and I was like, "Dang, I could have been relaxing, but I had to come over here and save you." Yeah. <laughs> oh, this one strip. It's called uh, "No Break," quote unquote, for the thug. In the first panel, this guy's offering Superman. He's like, thirsty? Have some water. And Superman says, thanks. And he goes a few minutes later, and the guy's like, to another guy's like, the knockout pill seems to have no effect on him. Like, you keep talking to him, and I'll do the rest. And talk about lust, you're bursting with, I don't know what that means. And so and then uh, the other guy takes his blackjack and tries to hit Superman over the head with it. He's like, the blackjack, it broke. And Superman's <laughs> like, right, and now it's my turn to break. You. <laughs> This is I think I kind of like, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of liking Clark in this one, too, because Clark does a lot more than just, I mean, they kind of put Superman in there. Sometimes it seems like in those stories, Clark was the main character and Superman was the fun part, mm-hmm. in which it probably still is to this day. But I always kind of feel like emphasis is always on Superman, mm-hmm. but it seems more like this is Clark's story. Clark yeah. is the is the people that we are relating to well, that, and he kind of gets like some good stuff in there. Like it's Clark that breaks up the spy ring. It's Clark that finds corruption in the tenements. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he's, he's doing more of his, like he's the reporter. Yes. Yeah. Like, like he's more of the reporter. He's, 
you know, going undercover as I think maybe in the tenement ones, mm-hmm. he goes as a bum. Mm-hmm. And Package wrapper is what he tells the lady. And then you- <laughs> yeah. Like because, he, because that was a job in the, in 1940. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes undercover as that. Oh, he goes undercover as, um, he, he's, he's kind of undercover in the first one, but he's a reporter, but he makes himself <laughs> blackmailed. He's a hobo in this one. Yeah. And the hobo <laughs> one, I mean, he dresses up and I mean, he still looks like Superman, it's but he's so silly. He's it's like this Superman, buff yeah. bum. <laughs> But got, I mean, like, patches on his blazer and everything. I mean, it works. <laughs> um, but I've been, I've generally been liking this one. And the last story I'm reading is, um, I haven't finished it yet, unfortunately. But it was, um, I think it's called the meekest man in the world. Mm-hmm. It's basically this guy that's basically the meekest man. Like he just gets kicked down. People are like shoving him in the way. Like he doesn't stand up for himself. He's very shy. Mm-hmm. And he writes like a, I can't remember what those old um, lovelorn columns are called, like Dear Judy or something like that. Uh, like 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 an advice column or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Lois was part of that. So, you know, he wrote to Lois and Lois is like, Psh, I have no idea to help this person. And Clark's there and he's like, you know what, I think I can. So he observes the guy and see like how his day goes and, mm-hmm. you know, like his boss is being a jerk to him, like being one minute late. Um, people on the bus are like taking the seat like right before him. Like, and it's not like how I'm saying like, Oh, he should just sit down. But no, it's like, he's about to sit down and this dude comes in all rude. Like he's like, yeah, beat you again for the 10th year in a row. Jerk. You know? So so he's the guy who would be getting sand kicked in his face at the beach. Exactly. He's the 98 pound weakling that gets kicked. (laughs) And Sue or uh, Clark, Saying, you know, maybe I can help this guy. And so he goes undercover as that guy. Because apparently the the meekest guy looks like Superman. Mm. Except, you know. Of course he does. Exactly. (laughs) But he has the glasses still. So it's like, oh, we have the same physical build. But I'm awesome because I'm Superman. I will help you out. And he does this (laughs) so far. And it's been actually pretty fun. (laughs) So this book has just been super fun. It kind of... To me, that's always been kind of like that Superman for me. Mm-hmm. I kind of always, I, I always kind of gravitated at. Like I always had fun watching the Fleischer Brother cartoons because it was just like that. Yeah. But this kind of gives it more depth, or yeah. He seems to leap more in this one than fly. Yeah, he's definitely a leaper. And yeah, it does say Siegel and Schuster and all the strips, but yet the art style clearly changes as it progresses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's working on a house style, but it is, you can tell that it's not the same person drawing. Yeah. You know, and I wouldn't expect that any less because, I mean, during that time, Superman was like the biggest thing at that time. So for have Siegel and Schuster to do the strips and do the, probably the two uh, Superman books, action, and uh, I think Superman 1 was around by that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, that seemed like a lot. I'd imagine. And I think the animated series was coming out or the animated shorts well, was coming out and they had a hand in the beginning of that. And probably the, the radio show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, I didn't know this, but apparently the, the, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Superman lore that we know of now that we, that has been around forever actually was a result of the radio show. Mm-hmm. Like the daily planet, um, Jimmy Olsen, Perry white, like, a lot of those characters and a lot of those 
kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Krypton and kryptonite. A lot of those things that make up Superman, um, you know, that, that we take for granted. That like, oh, it's been around forever. Didn't come from the comics. It came from the radio show. I wouldn't even doubt it that the Fleischer brothers are the one that says he flies. Because I think they had him uh, leaping in the first couple, like maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. And then I think they dropped it by a third that he's just flying around. Now, in the in the TV show, he flew. Mm-hmm. Right? But that was in the 50s. Oh, that's right. Okay. You're talking about George Reeves? Yeah, the black yeah. and white. Right. Yeah, that was in the 50s. Yeah. So by then, he was already flying. and Yeah. Okay. Which I think is a good move. I mean, it, it's kind of silly to think that he'd be leaping 80 years later, but like, I'm going to save the day. Leap, leap, <laughs> leap. It's like, can you get here any faster? <laughs> exactly. Especially since your tagline's faster than a speeding bullet. I guess you can right. leap really fast. Well, the next right? part is able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Well, that was before he flew. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, I mean, he could always well, maybe. Like, run really fast, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Just, so, I don't know. There's that one strip where he tries to catch a bullet that someone shot at Lois Lane, and it deflects off his hand and hits her in the tent. Yeah, and that's and, another thing I kind of liked about this book is Superman kind of messes up a little bit. Not so much, like, making bad decisions, but, like, he mm-hmm. slips, the the bullet bouncing off his mm-hmm. hand, it kind of slips out of his hand, although it's kind of questionable that Lois would survive that because of She's just stunned. Wait, wait, yeah. what, what, yeah. what happened? It bounced off his hand? It bounced off, it bounced off the, his hand. It, it ricochets off his hand. off his hand a bit, but it ricochets and hits her, like, on the side of the noggin. Yeah. <laughs> And she's out, and she's like, oh, she's just passed out. I think it was a low-caliber gun, so it probably didn't have much force behind it anyway. still, it, it, I'm sorry. That doesn't know how that works. It's like a snub-nosed 38. Remember, what's this? Uh, you mean like a Dylan Goodfellas? Goodfellas where Pesci like, grabs that lady by the head and go pop-pop into her head, and then it doesn't go through because it's a low-caliber gun. You mean what like a Dillinger? Well, that's what a Dillinger is. Where just like, yeah, no, you're right. Some low-caliber guns will. I'm pretty know, sure. They don't have that much force behind it. Yeah. Enough to kill a person, but not penetrate know. through. Yeah. So if so if it did, I'm like pretty it was sure slippery. this was like a handgun, but <laughs> it's a Desert Eagle. No, because <laughs> <laughs> no, he goes to catch it. And he's like slippery little devil. <laughs> yeah, but that's what the part where I was like, I don't think Lois would survive that. But okay, I'll buy it because it's comic. She, she's just mildly <laughs> concussed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a. Uh... That was a lot of Superman talk. It was, but there's nothing yeah. wrong with Superman no, talk. No, no, no. Hey, we, no, we he, he started this all, so in no, some aspects. No, you're absolutely right. That was, uh, yeah. So that's, that was Superman corner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has been around for 80 years, so. Yeah, that's true. we got to give him give him his props. And I'm kind of glad that they celebrated that his publishing date was in April instead of in June, because I think uh, uh, Action Comics number one is dated June but since back in the day newsstands, mm-hmm. they would have it like two, three months ahead of time, so right. the comic would last longer. Mm-hmm. That's why like Fantastic Four is November first, but really I think it came on stands like in September, or yeah, September. Okay, something like that. Cool. All right, well we'll keep um, we'll keep going here. So um, I got a couple other we can talk about a couple other books, then we'll probably wrap it up. Um, but I read a new book that came out, uh, I think, last week or two weeks ago from Image called Skyward. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys saw this on the stands or read it or anything. 
but it was written by uh, Joe Henderson, who is he's actually the showrunner of Fo- that Fox show uh, Lucifer. Oh, okay. And it was drawn by Lee Garbett, who I guess more recently um, he did uh, like a Loki that Loki Agent of Asgard book from a couple years ago. Um, but he also did the uh, uh, Batgirl when it was uh, um, the sp- when the spoiler became Batgirl when she had that kind of like purple mm. and black yeah, yeah. outfit. Okay. Um, I forget I forget her name. Stephanie. I forget her name. Stephanie Brown? Yeah, Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown, yeah. And I really liked that book. Like, that was a good, like, that iteration of Batgirl. I really enjoyed. And most of it was because of the art. The art was by Lee Garbett. And um, so so they're doing this new book called Skyward. It's kind of like a science fiction adventure, action adventure book. Um, But it's more of like a, it's science fiction, but it's, I would say it's still kind of in the modern day. And, um, so what happens is there's this event that's called, they call it G-Day, where um, it, it's not explained. I mean, everything that happens in the first issue is, it, it it's a little bit of setup. Like, it shows you what happened, and then you get, like, maybe in, like, the first five or six pages, and then the rest of it is, like, 20 years later showing what life is like. So there's, a, there's an event that's not explained, but basically um, Earth's gravity turns from normal to like a like a low gravity environment just out of nowhere um hmm. the, the characters are just getting ready they're doing their morning routine and next thing you know there's like a coffee cup like just floating in the air and the coffee's floating out of it and like little bubbles and and the the one character um they they go outside to go for the for their run this it's the main character's mother um and she floats away like there's like cars and other people and like a tanker truck and everyone's just floating away. And then it cuts to 20 years later and the main character who was, she was actually a baby, like just practically a newborn. So she's like in her early twenties. So her entire life is, that's all she's known is this low gravity environment. But you know, humans being the resilient people that we are, you know, it's 20 years later, like, our, our entire world is different. Um, and she's a, um, she's a courier or like for this delivery service. And so, you know, we get to see a, a glimpse of her life and, you know, for her every day is like amazing because she's literally like flying through the city hmm. that people are just like, that's how they, that's how you get around now. Like the idea of walking is, is, weird to them like it doesn't exist anymore almost like you don't walk from place to place it's like you fly from place to place or you or you're you're tethered and you jump from place to place it's like everything is just you're just floating kind of like on an international space station but you know and super yeah and but in like now you know because it's just the first issue um you know, we, you just get a small glimpse of what the world is like. Um, you don't really see, like, what other people, like, like, what the rest of the world is doing or what, you know, like, how life is for the most part. So I, I think there's still a lot that they're going to unpack in this uh, in this world. But it was really fascinating. It's just a, a really neat idea of this, 
Like, what would you do if you, you know, if everything was just floating, you know? Um, and, and the art by Lee Garbett was just, just gorgeous. There's this, there's this two page spread. Um, when you, um, when she's first introduced as an adult, the, the main character, I think her name is, uh, Willa. Mm-hmm. And it's just gorgeous. It's like this, like she's flying through like this cityscape and it's just really, uh, just really neat. So I think it was, it was, it was a great first issue. I'll just, you know, I'll show the first thing I got. Right I'm looking there. at it here. I like how she uses like a gun to project herself. Yeah. So that's, oops. There we go. That's the first issue. Um, <laughs> see if I could find that. Well, so spread. there's no like any rocket belts or anything to. Um, I mean, if there is, like I said, they they really haven't um, gone into a lot of the a lot of the the, the mechanics or the the nitty gritty of this world, like what everyone else does um, to get around. Now, her her dad is still around, um, and he he's I think he's traumatized not only I think by you know he basically lost his wife on G Day. Uh, but I think there's been subsequent trauma, and they they didn't go into it. But he's uh, he hasn't left his apartment basically since G Day. Like he refuses, he doesn't want to go outside mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to be subjected to the low. Even though he, no matter where you go, you're still subjected to the low G environment. But you know he, in his apartment, he's kind of like tethered to everything. Like he prefers, I guess, not to float around that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they they lead you to believe that um, he has knowledge of of why this happened or how it happened, and that there may be, you know, he, he may be able to reverse it. So, but they they never really at any point go into just who he, he is or what he can do or what you know is he a scientist is he with the government or so there's. There's a lot to unpack, like I said, not just from the world building point of view, but from the characters. Um, but the but the first issue, like I said, it was really um, I was kind of drawn in immediately. It was very very compelling. It was a lot of fun. It was just seemed like a really fun world, and the um, the art, the colors, everything was very uh, very bright and very um, like it, you know it, it, like it's different than most. I guess what you would consider like a like, I don't know if you can say this is a post-apocalyptic world. It's not like there was an apocalypse, but like it was like a world-changing event happened. This is, I feel like, one of the few books where it was, you know, like things things changed radically, but it was still life went on. Every, yeah. Everyone it looks like they adjust. I just skimmed yeah. through it real quick. It looks like the father feels. I don't know. There's no story there, but it looks like he feels responsible for. The low G mm-hmm. event, and it also seems to have an idea how to fix it as well. Right, because it, spoiler alert: in, in the beginning, he kind of had like a like a Jor-El moment where you know when the when the low G started happening, he said something like, um, "I knew it," or mm-hmm. "or I knew this was going to happen," or something like that. So, yeah. so yeah, he's he's kind of like the Jor-El of this of this book, but he's still around. So, so hopefully he'll you know it, we'll see what his story is. But 
No, this one, I, this was a really fun issue. I'm looking forward to more of it. Awesome. So, so, would uh, anyone got anything else? No. Oh, all right. You're up. You got something, Sean? I guess I am. I do. It is. I didn't mean to bring visuals, but I didn't write notes. So that's why I'm How not dare you on this, this visual <laughs> podcast bring visuals? <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm just shrugging my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> on the audio part, yeah, you guys can't, can't see what, what I'm doing. <laughs> the people that are seeing me now. <laughs> I brought... Lulu and Mitzi, or I should probably say S. Eddie Bell's Lulu and Mitzi story. A couple years back, uh, not way back, but sometime back, uh, a mutual friend of ours by the name of Nick Marino, you might have heard of him. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. I think he even the did pod. like a theme song too. Yeah, the, he's, he's, he's still the pod father. The pod father. There you go. Uh, he was moving out west, and he was trying to get rid of some stuff. And he was like, hey, here's some books. Do you want them? I'm like, sure, let me take a look. So I grabbed this book out because it looked really interesting because just weird characters and uh, just looked like a very fun read. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and I put it on my shelf, meant to read it, and it sat. <laughs> and... For a couple of years, I'd say, oh, I'll look through my books, see what I want to read. And I saw it there. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. Read. And then like two, three pages, I'd stop. Life got in the way or it kind of was like kind of dragged. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, put it back on the shelf. <laughs> so this past year, I was, um, I am determined to get rid of some books off of my shelf so I can make room for more books. And plus, I have a small house, and it's filled with clutter. Mostly toys. Mostly toys. That's why I'm looking at the camera like this. So, Millie, when you're older, you'll see my face. Uh-oh. Lots of toys. <laughs> you're killing your father, Millie. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years down the road, she'll find it and be like, I'm sorry, Dad, I was five. I'm like, <sighs> anyways. <laughs> sorry. So I was determined. I'm like, all right, I'm going to find some books that I haven't read yet because I have a few of them on my shelf. Most of them I've read through the years and I haven't picked them up since, but for the most part, I have a few that I haven't read, and this was one of them. And I'm like, by hook or by crook, I'm going to read this. Mm-hmm. So I finally did, and I liked it. I really liked it a lot. It's about two women of the night and their crazy adventures on the underground CD San, Fran- uh, San-, San Francisco uh, life, nightlife. So when you say... Women of the Night, I assume you're not talking about vampires. No, I am not talking about vampires. These ladies hang out in the Red District, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. So, they're hookers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. It's like how they, they try to get money. 
I mean, not just by hooking. They're just trying to just make money. Actually, you know what? Yeah, they are trying to make money hooking. They're very lousy at it. <laughs> they're on the corner, and you find that there's rivalries and all sorts of stuff, and they get crazy. And then I think it's Mitzi. I can't remember. Mitzi, the big one. She kind of wants more out of life. She doesn't want to keep hooking. But mm-hmm. they're also illegal aliens. So, mm. not the stars, but you know, from other countries. Right. So, and eventually they do. Well, Mitzi does. Maybe it's Lulu. You know, I'm going to say Lulu is the the hefty one, I should say. The one with more curves, this one. Okay. Hefty. And the person yeah, listening on the audio. Use, I don't know if you want to use the word hefty. I don't <laughs> know what you want. Know. How about curvish? Curvaceous. Curvy. Curvy is good. Curvy. Curvy is good. Because she's curvy in the book. She's very plentiful, mm-hmm. I should say. Uh, she wants more out of life, and she's actually very intelligent. She um, apparently wants to do, I think it's like, um, oh, not feng shui, but it's like in that vein where interior design. Okay. That's it. And so, you know, it's them trying to just make better of ourselves. But Mitzi, on the other hand, she's an idiot. She's the Wren to her Stimpy. <laughs> I should say it's kind of like when I was reading it, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, man, this is kind of like Ren and Stimpy if Ren and Stimpy were hookers. <laughs> <laughs> like Ren's supposed to be the smart one, but really, it's it's Stimpy that's mm-hmm. the smart one, but he's just idiotically smart. Where <laughs> you know Ren is just he's smart, but not really. He's just an idiot. He's the more idiot, and it, it was fun. Is this a is this a self contained book or is this like volume one or it's self contained. Okay. I guess he only did this one. I haven't really I looked up on like Google to see if Eddie Bell or S. Eddie Bell mm-hmm. did any other books or did any sequels and this was it. It seems like he kind of jumped to animation. Okay. For the most part. Um So is that can you hold it up again? So is the is it like so it's got like kind of an animated style? Mm-hmm. The Oh, let me look at the book before I start flipping it through. Uh, yeah, is it, is this looks a, good. So as being um, that they're, the main characters are prostitutes, is there, like, what kind of... You don't really see, like, any... Would you say this is, like, a PG-13 or rated R, or is there, like, language, or just... It's more for language than anything else. Okay. Like, I don't think there's any tea. I... Uh, some slight tea. I think it's, like... Towards the end, yeah, or maybe it's, it's not like, like more lewd. Yeah, it's not but, hardcore. I was flipping through. Yeah, before it's we not started. like you're. Yeah, it's not like a a, a porno or okay. anything like that. It's just more in language and anything. It's going to get a hard a hard R. Okay. If I want to say. So. Okay. Cool. Uh, was it was it a self published thing or was it like an actual? No, it was by um, publisher. It was by Slave Labor Graphics when they were around. Oh, cool. Okay. So. Uh, for the most part, I like I keep saying I liked it a lot, and I keep trying to go to the the part where I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I guess it was just very dense. Like, I kind of felt like I kept reading a few pages and only reading not as far as I thought I did. Because mm-hmm. it was just really dense. It's like, he took, like, the idea of a nine-panel grid and just kept it going, even though a lot of the pages weren't nine panels but the layout seemed like it was nine panels but you know outside of that the art style was good i liked all the expressions on all the characters i even 
uh, yeah, everything was just good. Like, cool. And what when what year did it come out, or when was it? Is it a recent thing, or well, I guess I can't uh, mid two thousand because because Nick moved a few years ago. Yeah. So I guess it, and he had it before he moved. So I guess it can't be. Oh, let's say the mid two thousands. Okay. But so it's probably still available. I'm sure you can find it like at a bookstore or your local, like maybe your local LCS. Oh, could here you it is. find it at your local Amazon. Yeah, your two thousand eight. That was gonna be my last, <laughs> my, so my the, last suggestion. But yeah, Amazon. I'm sure. Yeah, it, it's from two thousand eight. So this is the ten year anniversary of oh. Lulu and Mitzi. Oh, we should yeah we should we should have had like a party or something mm-hmm. celebrating the you, you, you know the ten years of Lulu and Mitzi eighty years of Superman <laughs> it all it all comes around oh, there you go see they probably thought of that when I bet you Eddie was thinking about that when he was drawing he's like you know what <laughs> this is going to be the barn burner this is what people are going to talk about when it hits Man. ten years not that Superman <laughs> ten years. <laughs> But it was definitely it was it was definitely worth like when I finished reading it I was mm. just like wow I'm really glad I read that and I was really glad that I I went through it. There's actually a one page comic in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a parent, I kind of wish I didn't read. Oh, okay. <laughs> I um. imagine myself in my twenties really laughing out loud at it. But mm-hmm. now that I'm a parent, I'm like yeah, a, little, I, a little cringy. Yeah, when All you're right. when you become a parent, you kind of like. I don't know what it is. You come like a little oversensitive on some things. Oh yeah, sure. Like I read, I finally watched Train Spotting a couple of years back. Oh, like Millie was probably like a year old, and I had a chance to watch it. And I've always wanted to watch it, and then I did, and I was like, I mean, doesn't a, doesn't like a baby die in that movie? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it's been it's probably been twenty years since I've seen it, but I do remember some of the more graphic aspects of it. That's the part where that just kind of tripped me up. Like, I was good. Mm-hmm. I was just watching it all through. Like, oh, yeah, these people are garbage people. They're just, <laughs> they're jerks. You know, but we're supposed to. But they're still, yeah, they're still the main characters. They're still the main characters. So yeah. you're kind of like hanging on, see, okay, well, what's this arc going to be? And then that happens. Yeah. And you know that it's coming or yeah. something's going to happen. Yeah. I kept singing in my mind as I was watching it. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, hopefully this baby kind of gets by child services mm-hmm. you know but then that happened and yeah. i was just like and you're like i'm out well i finished it but yeah afterwards it kind of just messed me up and i was like man i really hope millie wakes up because <laughs> it's like Jeez. you know a couple months later it's getting you know. dark in here <laughs> well no i i, I hear you i mean it's i mean yeah, but that was certain that, things affect us in certain ways it's it's understandable it, like i always i keep saying like my 25-year-old self would have probably loved train spotting. Mm-hmm. Just like my 25-year-old would probably like that last page. Yeah. I mean, it didn't take away or break the book on my review. I generally, like I said, it's an overall great book. If you do find it on Amazon mm-hmm. or your local comic shop, if you can, pick you it know, up. Pick it up. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely down. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I might take a look at it, but I'm definitely going to read that last page just to see. Because <laughs> now, now I want to see what it is. So don't spoil it for me. I'll read it when we're done. Okay. All right. Um, so I think we can wrap this one up. Nope. Oh. Can, I do, can I do one more? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. All right. So apparently I brought the books today. Um, I, I brought the digital books. <laughs> 
Well, I would have, but... What do you got? All right, so I'll try to keep this quick since we're trying to wrap it up. Yeah, hold, this, that, hold that up for us. All right, this is Mazzy Devil. Hopefully the glare doesn't hit it. No, we can see it. Yep, there it is. This is Mazzy Devil, or Girl with the Gun, uh, by Aaron Bordner of Fremont, Ohio fame. If you haven't heard of Fremont, Ohio, you are definitely missing out on a tourist trap. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, it's not. If it really isn't. If you haven't heard of Fremont, Ohio, join the club. I like to tell people that it's 20 minutes away from Cedar Point. And then when they say, what's Cedar Point? And then I'm like, get out of my house. Mazzy Devil or Mazzy Devil. I call her Mazzy. Um, is about a quadruple amputee uh, that gets hired by the devil to take out the Pope. But this takes place in the post-apocalyptic future where it's generally a desert wasteland. Think of like Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Think of like Mad Max Fury Road okay. where the Pope is um, that, that big hefty guy. I oh, can't remember um, his name. What's his Con- name? Something uh, Joe? Um, yeah. Im- Im- Immortan- Immortus Joe? Yeah, something like that. Basically the guy with all the teeth looking and the with crazy the, hair. The mask and, yeah, yeah, the mask. Okay. So that's the Pope. That's and the Pope. The Pope, okay, I'm Pope wants to ruin the world even more. Like, I guess he wants to blow it up. Of course he does. And so we got the, so Mazzy gets hired by the devil to cap the Pope because there's not going to be much for the devil to do, apparently. So, and she has 30 seconds to do it. So she does, sort of. Well, actually she fails. This book, the entire book is actually full of failure. She actually <laughs> sucks at her job but kind of succeeds as well. So in the first part of it, she teams or she fights the Pope in a gun out battle. By the way, this is all like very nineties. Like I was actually reading, I was like, Holy moly. Uh, with all the gun debate that's been going on in the last couple months, Mm -hmm. more years, if you want to say. So reading this, I was like, Oh man, this is really like pre gun debate. Right. So I'm reading this stuff and I'm just like, Oh man. But I, the nostalgic teenager me, angsty me, was reading. I was like, yeah, this is still awesome still, though. <laughs> <laughs> so she faces off with the Pope, fails, but still blows up the world and makes it even worse. But the trajectory of her boom goes into the moon, and apparently the devil has a beef with the moon, p- moon people. <laughs> so he's like, you got to take care of this, Maz. And she's like, all right, boss. Oh, and by the way, the gun talks. Kind of like Michael. But okay. It feels a gun. Or Michael from Knight Rider. Not oh, Michael Kit. from Knight Kit. Kit. Yeah. Kit. Gotcha. Um so So it's got it looks like I mean just almost like a tank girl meets the the tank girl works for the devil type of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very. And with a little surreal surrealism in there. Yeah, it's it's definitely like yeah, definitely um tank girl. Like, even down to, like, the panel jokes, mm-hmm. um, little sight gags here and there. Uh, just an oddball book. But as a teenager, I really loved this book. Mm-hmm. And it kind of holds up a bit. Like, I'm looking at it from, like, a 38-year-old reading it. Because mm-hmm. I can I remember myself reading it as a teenager. Like, the first two. There's actually three issues in here now. He finally collected it. Oh, okay. Uh, and the one book. 
and um, like the last one I haven't read. And to tell you the truth, I kind of wish I would have read it as um, as a new person. Mm-hmm. So I guess I should probably give more uh, history. Sorry to keep it long. No, you're fine. So Aaron Borner actually taught me the ways of comics. Like, I mean, I knew comics existed. I read comics before I met him. But he was kind of, he was my art teacher, mm-hmm. I should probably say. I always say mentor, but really, he was like an independent art teacher. He actually wasn't in school at my high school or junior high. A friend of mine was like, hey, I'm taking these art lessons from this comic book artist. And I was like, I would like to do that. I want to be an animator. And comic books are kind of like storyboards. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to be a storyboard artist. So I met him, and I totally insulted him the first time. By saying, I don't want, I don't know what's the big deal about Star Wars. Oh. Yeah, and he was like, you need to leave. <laughs> so this 15-year-old that's shy, I was like, okay. I actually thought I made him mad, and then I find out I didn't. Um, Did he seriously kick you out? No, I was on the way out. Oh, okay. But I said that because, I, hey, I was more of an Indiana Jones fan. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Like, don't get me wrong, what, if you're talking about... What a about, weird division. I didn't realize that, that there was, like, camps <laughs> that didn't cross over. That's right. Well, I, at the time, I wasn't much into Star Wars. Is it, is it the Harrison Ford? <laughs> the, the Venn diagram I, of Harrison Ford I was actually Ford more fandom. of a fan of Harrison Ford than I was <laughs> anything else. But it was like, well, if you're trying to break it up in the in the pop culture camps... I mean, I wasn't much into Star Trek yet. And I wasn't... Like, I saw the, the trilogy... When it came out, well, not when it came out, but eventually probably on VHS or something, mm-hmm. you know, that was okay. great, but I saw them as movies, but sure. I'll, I'll grant you this Han Solo business, but for my money, Witness is where it's at. You, sh- you a, shut up about Witness. That was a great movie. I'm, a, I'm more of a regarding Henry man myself. <laughs> I didn't see that one. <laughs> But I was into Indiana Jones. <laughs> and it was agree. my jam. That's actually a really good movie. We can all agree that Air Force One is hot garbage, though. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Get off my plane. <laughs> anyway. But I was in the Indiana Jones camp. I'm sorry. I was. I w- That was my jam, and Ghostbusters was my jam during that time, and it was just like, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So Star Wars and Star Trek didn't really gel with me until later. I'm probably more of a Trekkie, though. Although, sorry. Anyways. <laughs> keep digging that hole, Sean. Keep, keep digging. digging. The, you know what? I will. Three you hours. need to Star leave. Star Wars <laughs> sucks. If Scott was here, I would tell it to his face. I'd be like, up yours and your little Metachlorian count. Oh, Three hours later, Sean's going to be like, so I, I think I'm definitely more of a Captain Picard fan. No, I'm, I'm Kirk. Kirk fan. I will tell you this now, and I, I will look in the camera. I am a Kirk fan. He is awesome. I don't care how many red shirts you have to kill to get the job done. And we're like, weren't you talking about a comic book at some point? <laughs> so this was your art mentor. <laughs> My art mentor. Getting back on the business. <laughs> Which I kind of forgot already. Anyways. Oh, uh, that third issue. And I'll wrap it up. <laughs> and that's Comic Book Fit, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. Their third issue, I heard so much stuff about what he was going to do. And, like, I was talking to him about it. And, you know... All these conversations, and then it dropped off, and he was doing, like, uh, another book. Like, I think it was, like, Alice or Poison Elves or something like that. Mm-hmm. And 
I just kind of like was like, all right, well, I mean, I knew of it and I knew he had pages done, but he and I would ask him every time I came back from college. I was like, hey, man, when are you doing that mask? Because I I didn't care for Alice and whatever book it was. Um, I mean, I'm I work on it now. Constantly shitting in your friend's mouth. No, I mean, I'm working on his. (laughs) I'm working on his books now as a as a cover artist here and there, and you know, I like it, and I've read his other stuff. But Mazzy was always like I had a soft spot in my heart. So when I found out he was collecting it all, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy this. So I read it, and I read the third issue, and I, I liked it, but it seemed like it kind of fell short. Sorry, Aaron, if you're going to listen to this. Um, as a fan, I just was kind of like, oh, man. I kind of, I guess I kind of wished I didn't know that he was going to have, like, Guar and, like, all this other stuff to it. And then what I got out of it was, like, a few things that he talked about, and then... That was it. But I guess if I was coming in like whole cloth, didn't know, I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. As a angsty teenager, I would have probably loved it. As a 38-year-old, I still love it. So, And I still am not let down by it. And then he said, I think I posted a picture of it, and he was like, yeah, I'm totally going to do Mazzy and Devil in Hell. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'll be down for that. So cool. overall, get it. It's so, at his website, I think, or... You can find him on Facebook. He's everywhere now. So well, we'll, we'll, He's omnipresent. We'll put a link in the show notes for him. So this book, did he draw this book like 20 years ago? Or did he draw this book recently, this this final installment? Tell you the truth, some of the pages I do recognize from like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, some of his feel, it feels like it was like also used as promotion, promo art that he used to do like for his tables. Um, I can't remember why he decided to do that wide okay. panel stuff, but I want to say probably 20 years ago. Okay. So like his new stuff is a little more rubbery, like not, not rubbery, but it definitely has soft curves where that was more like hard edge and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot more lines. He's kind of calmed down on that since then, <laughs> but I generally loved it. it I think it... Any fan that, of Aaron or, like, a Tank Girl mm-hmm. would probably enjoy this book. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll definitely put a put a link to uh, to his website or his Facebook or wherever you can get his work yeah. in the show notes so people can check it out. Cool. Okay. Great. Um, okay, so do we have uh, anything else before we break? Is that it? I think just... Uh, to settle the score once and for all, the correct answer is always six days, seven nights. <laughs> oh, oh, you dropping the, dropping the Ann Hesh on us too? Dropping an Ann Hesh bomb on us? Terrible! How dare you? That's it. We're we're, we're closing this out. Oh, so right. What was the one that he did with Robert Zemeckis? I saw that, and that was kind of a piece of crap. Oh, with, with Michelle, the, Michelle Pfeiffer? Pfeiffer. Yeah. I literally two thousands movie. I literally saw that in the theater because of him, and I was kind of let down. Firewall? No, 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 no. It was like I want to say Lady in the Water, but that's not right. No, it's not Lady. No, no, that's. I think it's like a one word title. Harrison Ford gets mad at his wife and drowns her. Spoiler, but it's been like twenty years. Oh, was it? No, not Presumed Innocent. That was a Tom Selleck movie, I think. 
Um, I think I know what you're talking about. He's he's accused of murder, like murdering his wife, and it, or he's, he's accused of murder. What lies beneath? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm thinking it's a different movie then. Okay. Well, I think it's a the wife finds out that he's a lot more. There's a lot more to him than she thought. Came out in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw it in the theater. It was, was a not y- worth my eight bucks. Y2K movie. Okay. So. <laughs> That was our that was our Harrison Ford minute. This is Harrison Ford Pit. <laughs> All right, so you've been listening to Comic Book Pit. This has been episode two seventy two. I'm Dan. I'm Jared. I'm Sean. All right, and uh, stay tuned and for our next episode, two seventy three, and we'll see you later. Bye.